I'm Scott Abraham from ABC7 in Washington, D.C. You know who it is. Travis Thomas Experience. This is Eric Edholm of Yahoo Sports. This is Mitch Tischler. This is Al Galdi, and you're listening to The Big Douglas Show. All right, this is The Big Douglas Show. Subscribe, rate, and review. Big Pooh is with us today. And our guest from NBC Sports Washington is Chris Miller. Chris, how are you doing today? What's up, fellas? Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. How y'all doing today? Oh, doing well, doing well. Chris, I, I, I have to start off with this question. I know you're a big shoe head. Yes, sir. I know, I, I know you love shoes. How many shoes, if you can say? Oh, you shoes, know you. How many shoes do you own at this current time, sir? <laughs> you, you know sneakerheads never reveal the amount. <laughs> I'll just, it's like, it's like asking a woman how old she is, right? So ask a sneakerhead <laughs> how much heat they got. I'll say this. Oh, I got a few. You got a few. <laughs> I got a few. Hey, man. Actually, you know, during the, uh, you know, during the pandemic, man, I think I really only bought like one, one pair in like mm. fifteen months. So I've kind of scaled back, and it, it, you know, with COVID, man, it gets you like thinking about other stuff and like what, what's important. And kind of like sneakers became like not a priority, but. Uh, I might you got be getting miles, back into that, right? I got miles and stuff out there right now. <laughs> okay. Do you, are do you, you, do are the... you particular to a brand or what, uh, yes, sir. what's yeah. loading that thing? They're all J's in there. You don't have a closet full of New Balances, I assume. Nah, uh, I have a buddy that works for uh, for Under Armour and he always sends me stuff. And I, oh. I say thank you. I say thank you. Uh, but it's, 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 it's swoosh and jump man. That, that, that's basically it for me. Do you do doubles, Chris, or do you just, you know, I know some people, they'll buy I used a pair to. to wear, buy a pair to store. Yeah, I used to. And then uh, I'm like, why am I doing that? <laughs> you know, you get to a point, you go, just wear the one pair that you have. Yeah, but I, I've been a, man, I've been a sneakerhead for many mm-hmm, years. Yeah. <laughs> I just, uh. I just appreciate. See, I, I got. I have a shirt that says, "I look at your feet before I make eye contact," and it's true. I, I always find myself kind of looking down and seeing what somebody has on. And uh, I was literally just on vacation, and I saw a guy had a pair of uh, cement fours, which are so hard to get, right? Mm-hmm. And. I just remember looking at him. I was like, man, you got some nice heat on your feet. He goes, man, what you know about this? I said, like, man, don't get me started, right? I was like, bro, you got cement fours on, which, you know, it was kind of cool to see him walking around in them because, uh, you know, not a lot of people have those. So that, that, that's definitely a collector's item. There, there are not many advantages to being in a wheelchair. Keeping your shoes clean are one of them. People all the time are like, how do you get stays the glass? I said, hey, they don't touch the ground anymore. So uh, you know, right, I, have to, I don't right. have to buy two. Yeah, but you know, it's funny. It's like when you, uh, we all remember uh, when we were kids and somebody would step on your shoes and you'd be like, all oh, hell's about to break loose. Oh, yeah. <laughs> right? There might, there might oh, be yeah. some furniture moving up in here. Uh, but yeah, the good old days. Yeah, but sneakers is definitely a, uh, a love interest, a passion project, something, whatever you want to call it, but uh, a vice, all that. Uh, but, but I love to see a nice pair of sneakers on people's feet. Nice. Now, Chris, you're from Ohio originally, right? 
I worked in Cleveland. I'm originally from Winston-Salem, North Carolina. That's where I was born and raised. Okay. Right on. Uh, and you were there for uh, before LeBron became the king. Is that right? Yeah. So when I got there, he was a sophomore in high school. So I really got to see really the last two years when he just blew up, right, on the cover of Sports Illustrated his junior year. Um, his senior year was ridiculous. And uh, I tell the story all the time when people were like, I'm like, when did you know uh, he was going to be like that guy? And I said the first time I ever saw him in a layup line. I mean, <laughs> he went up and did like that Statue of Liberty dunk that we've seen a thousand times, right? And I just remember looking over at my photographer and I didn't know who he was. Like the, the running joke was, hey, you're going to go cover LeBron. I'm like, who is that? And, you know, the guys in the sports department were kind of like laughing. They're like, oh, you'll, you'll notice when you walk in the gym, right? <laughs> so as soon as I walked into the gym, he was on the layup line. And I just saw him take off and I, you know, it was slow motion for me. I was just like, oh, that's him. And you know, right. I was like, yeah, that's him. And he was unbelievable to cover. Um, just to see somebody that young, that poised, that mature, that could handle everything that was kind of being thrown at him as a 16 and 17 year old. And he handled it with such grace and style and maturity that, you know, I'm not surprised in year 18, he's still the face of this league. Chris, Incredible uh, Go ahead, Pooh, my bad. Oh, no, I would say I, I've been watching you. I watched the Wizards, so obviously I, I, I get to watch you as well. And I, I've asked everybody who's come on here this question, but I know for you specifically, how tough has COVID been on what you do specifically? Because I, I know a lot of your interviews are very, you know, athletes allow you to get a little closer than most. So how has it been for you during this time trying to still you know, not it's not going to be the same connection, but still keep that connection tight so players will be willing to talk to you. That is a great question. Um, brother, it's been tough, but people have had it tougher, right? People have lost family members. So I kind of put it in perspective of, you know, for the last 15 months, I've kind of just worked from my home office in here. And that means those times where I do do those interviews, it, it's a little bit different because kind of the way that I do interviews is a little bit different than everybody. Like I, I'm more curious in like who you are as opposed to what you do, right? We all know what you do, but how did you get there? Like, what was your journey? And like, how do you stay, you know, just last night I did a, uh, I did a 32 minute interview with Bradley Beal. You know, he's in Vegas getting ready for USA. I'm sitting here in the home and he and I have not connected in person since March the 10th, 2020. So think about that, how long it's been. But I've conducted you know, numerous interviews with him through Zoom, but it's just not the same. But we have this connective tissue where it's, I can do a Zoom interview with him and can get the best version of him out of you know, a question about representing your country, right? But to answer your question, it's, it's, it's been tough. Uh, I, I like to see your eyes. I like to feel your energy, right? And you can't do that through Zoom, but it's uh, a great invention, right? I didn't even know what Zoom was until this thing happened. Right? Just and I'm like Zoom. I'm like, what is that? But it, uh, it 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 keeps me doing my job. But I I can't wait uh, 
you know, to get back in the gym. You know, I've been in the gym once in 15 months. I went and saw uh, DeMatha a couple of weeks ago in the summer league. And that's the first time I've been in the gym, just hearing the sneakers, like yeah. squeaking. I was like, man, that just feels good to be popcorn was popping. And you know what I'm saying? Like I'm an arena guy. I have to be in the building where it happens. I, I can't watch it on TV. If I got a chance to go to a gym, I'm gonna go to a gym and watch that hoop. That's for sure. I, I always tell people if, if you're not familiar with being in a gym, like an open gym, it's hard to understand because of the strength and power of those athletes, the squeaking and the sound of the ball drip, just the yeah. bouncing of the ball, the violence of the ball hitting the uh, the, the court. I think it's hard for a lot of people to fully appreciate that don't mm -hmm. get into a gym like that. And I and I miss just like that, you know, the how great these athletes are. They're the greatest athletes on the planet, in my opinion, just to have the size for these guys to do what they can do with the basketball playing on both ends of the floor like that matters, right? Um, no disrespect to football players, but you get a rest. These dudes don't get a rest. They hoop, they, they play offense and go right back on defense. And the, the way that they have just this, their skill sets are just amazing. Kevin Durant to me, I marvel at him every time I watch him play or just how easy he makes it look. And we all know it's not easy to do that, but yeah, some of these, these NBA players are truly remarkable to kind of be around. And, and as I was telling you guys before, it's not necessarily like what they do. I don't marvel at that anymore. I've been doing that too long. What I marvel at is how they impact their communities, how much they're using their brands to get a message out, to help people that, you know, might be in a situation where they don't have a voice. And that's where I kind of appreciate you know, players like Brad, you know, obviously I've, I've had a long standing relationship with John Wall, what he's done in the DC community, all those things really matter to me. And I, I kind of want to relay that when I do those interviews with players, it's just showing kind of like the other side, because anybody can interview an athlete and say, Hey, tell me about scoring 30 points. I want to know how you did it. And then how do you go home when you're a guy like Bradley Beal, who has, you know, two little boys at home. I remember when he had those back-to-back -back 50 point games, he had two toddlers at home. So I was like, bro, did you get any sleep? Like, how did you drop 53, go home, come back and get 55 the very next night? Like, that's not normal. So that that's kind of like how I go about doing kind of my interviews. Chris, speaking of John Wall, how was it? This is a business. We all understand that. But how was it for you seeing someone who, was in the community, done a lot of great things for the community, just what he meant to DC, not just the organization, but right. to DC. How tough was it seeing him get traded out um, this past off season? Yeah, man, it's the, it's the business of basketball, right? You get to a point where it's time to move on. And, uh, you know, as he and I were kind of talking about it when it was unfolding, um, you'll never take away those 10 years that he was here. You'll never take away some of the unbelievable moments that he had on the court. You know, the shot against Boston, game six at home. You know, that's still one of the biggest events that I've ever been in my career when it pertains to like the crowd and what that shot meant to it. it you know, you'll never take away um, his all-star appearances. You'll never take away his community assist award that he had won. Uh, all, that, all that stuff was kind of like, uh, the ingredients to what was a decade of really good high-level basketball. 
but I told him like, you're going to Houston. This is a new opportunity. This is a chance for you to get back. You know, those injuries, you know, th- those were difficult, but you had some really good moments here. Remember those, cherish those as you now go off to a new chapter in Houston. But, you know, it, it was tough because there was a friend side of it. And then obviously I have to do my job as a journalist to explain why the trade was happening. But, um, you know, balancing that wasn't the issue at all with me. Like I understood the business. He understood the business of it. Um, and we still talk to this day is that nothing really changed to just, you know, he has a new address and, you know, we're still here kicking it with the Wizards. <laughs> the man they traded for, we've all watched before. I got to tell you, he was better than advertised in my mind. I mean, Agreed. it was incredible. I, I cannot tell you, I watched basketball for a long time and, and I just assumed that triple doubles were something point guards got every night. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like yeah. I don't, yeah. I don't know when that happened. It happened this season. It's the first time that's ever happened. How insane is it that the man really just we just assumed he'd get a triple double every night, and we're disappointed when he didn't. It it was hard to replace John Wall, but boy, he did the best job he could, didn't he? You know, I think Doug, when you think about. When you we saw him before, like he would come to town once a year, right? Because he was out west. You'd only see him twice a year. And I would always marvel at just when he played against us, man, he just played hard. Every possession was like, bro, do you ever take a break? Do you get water? Like, who is this cyborg? Right. Cause this dude is a little bit different. And I remember being in Oklahoma City for 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 years. And you know, he would get a triple double and you'd be like, oh. That's kind of cool. And then he got here last year and I was like, okay, he got one, five, 20. Wait a minute. He's got, (laughs) like you said, like you said, it became like every night. You're like, it became normal. What we all thought was like, not normal. It was a normal night occurrence. Hey, Russ had 25, 13, and 12, whatever. He averaged averaged double-divot rebounds for the point guard position. Like, I don't even know how that happens. You know, it's funny. I would look at the – you know, I'm a stats nerd, so I'll wake up in the morning and see who's leading the league in scoring, rebounding, who's shooting well, blah, blah, blah. And you would see, like, the rebounding, and they would be, like, you know, a big – a big, a seven footer, a seven footer, Russell Westbrook, a seven footer, a seven footer. And I'm like, I've standing next to him. He might be six, three. It was just kind of funny when you just look at the stats and you'd go big, big, here's Westbrook. And then there's another big, another big, another big. It was, and it, it was funny because like, before he got here, people were always talking about, you know, what was he pad stats? And when you watched him, Right. No, he he would just go get it. You know, I just I, I just loved his mindset of, look, I might be the shortest guy in this paint, but I'm going to outwork you to get the rebound and then being able to get out and push. Yeah, Russell Westbrook rebounder reminded me of watching Dennis Rodman in his mm-hmm. prime. He wasn't necessarily the biggest guy, but he just knew where the ball was going to end up. Newer angles. He knew the angles. He just knew. You know, I, I just wanted more than you. That's. That's you appreciate it. that. It's just his, his, his competitiveness was just his competitive. His competitiveness reminded me of Michael Jordan. Like it was just kind of like he was just the ultimate alpha, and everybody else kind of get in where you fit in. But he was going to dominate the game. Absolutely, Chris. What were your What were your thoughts on this year's team? Um, obviously, they made it to the first round against Philly, but just 
from where they started to where they ended up? Like, what were your thoughts on this year's squad? Um, that's a great question. I, I thought before the season, I had high expectations. You know, I, I thought, look, this, the way the roster was assembled, the fact that you had Westbrook uh, in the trade for John, I, I thought Westbrook and Beal, I thought their games meshed, right? I, I, I liked what I saw on paper before they went out and competed. Um, I didn't like the start. And the start to me um, was a head scratcher. Starting 0-5 was just a bad start. That's the reality. And then COVID hit. And then, you know, they had six games postponed. And then coming out of the all-star break, they lost their first five games. And you're just thinking, this is, this was not it. And then April happened where they won 17 games and they got into the playoffs. And you're like, okay, it was a roller coaster season. If you guys have ever been on a roller coaster, you know, it goes up and down and around and all that. That's the best way to kind of describe what this year was. And then they get into the playoffs and they just ran into a buzzsaw. I mean, Philly was at that point before Philly got beat in the playoff. At that point, Philly was playing, I thought, their best basketball. And they just ran into um, a guy in Ben Simmons in the last two games hit free throws, right? And Joel Embiid before the knee injury was dominant. I thought he was the MVP of the league this year. Fantastic. Um, but when, when when it really came down to it, I mean, the Wizards just had um, too many valleys throughout the season. And, and yet they still made the playoffs, right? They, they can at least say, hey, we, we made it to the first round. But I thought they got exposed in that five-game series. And so hopefully those things that led to them getting a gentleman sweep, if you will, they'll be able to correct those going into next season. But I thought for the beginning of the year, to answer, to answer your question, I, I was very, very high on this team being at least a top four seed in the East. There is a hole at the head coaching spot. Who do you think is on that short list now? And, and what do you think they're looking for? I mean, Tommy has never actually hired a coach himself. Do you have a, a, a feeling as to what kind of direction he'll lead I think it's going to be an assistant coach that's had some time in this league. And, you know, it's been reported that it's really down to four. And the four names are really interesting to me. Jamal Mosley, who was an assistant under Rick Carlisle in Dallas, is considered one of the finalists. Uh, Darvin, there's actually two Milwaukee Bucks assistant coaches that are reportedly in the final, Darvin Ham and Charles Lee. Charles Lee, a lot of people don't know this, grew up in – you know, Gaithersburg, Maryland. He went to Quince Orchard High School. Like, it's like, wow, this dude, this, he's really a local. And then obviously Wes Unsell Jr. Um, to me, Wes Unsell Jr. just makes so much sense for me. Like, he checks off every box. It's the legacy hire. Somebody that's been in this organization for 15 years, right? right. Nine years as a scout, six years as an assistant coach. Leaves goes gets more experience he was in orlando he was in denver uh he's a communicator he's an x's and o guy he can actually you know to me i think what's important is a coach that can communicate with somebody like russell westbrook who's 32 and a kid like denny abdia who just came over here and is learning the game that coach has to bridge the gap between a future hall of famer and a kid that's just trying to figure his way and I think that's what's going to be most important about this hire. So I think it's going to be an assistant coach that's just 
kind of worked his way up to finally getting his first NBA job. Um, and that guy's going to need support too. When you're a first time head coach in this league, you're going to need some OGs on your bench that are your assistant coaches that can help navigate you through the day-to-day, the practice, the film session, the, you know, the meeting before the game, the adjustments within the game. So I think that's where kind of Tommy is leading is an, an assistant coach with some tenure on the bench. And I'm a little excited. Correct me if I'm wrong. I, I know at least the guy from Dallas that's and Unsell Jr. are defensive guys, right? I mean, those are the yeah. guys that are in charge yeah. of the defense. Yeah. Who and I we talked about many times. We, All we yeah. want is a guy to come in, to coach up some defense, please. And and I'm not yeah. sure about the two guys from uh, from uh, the Bucks, but I know the other two guys are the defensive coordinator, basically, right? Yeah, D- Darvin Ham. Uh, I've been told is is a tough guy. I mean, we remembered him as a player. He's, he's a tough coach and defense is, is the priority there also. And I think Charles Lee has that kind of backing. Also, I would say this, Charles Lee is also up for the job in New Orleans and Wes Sale Jr. is up for that job also in Orlando. So um, the Wizards are competing with other teams for the services uh, of these four assistant coaches. Absolutely. Chris, uh, what, do you, what would you like to see happen um, during the draft, uh, the Wizards are in a place after about six or seven, the six or seven pick, it it can go either way in the draft. But do you see them just going best player available or actually trying to find a three and D wing, something that, you know, they sorely need? <laughs> I heard the magic word. <laughs> hey, I heard the magic word. You said three. Exact. They need a wing, man. They need a wing that can defend and hit some threes. That that to me is really the priority. Um, and and where they're positioned right now, you know, being 15 right now as we speak, you know, there are some wing players that could be at that position. I think this is a really good draft. I think you're going to get value not only in the top five, not only in the lottery, I think in the first round, you might be able to sneak in and get a really good player. I think in the second round, I don't think the Wizards have a second round pick though, but I think there's value to get what you really want. Um, I'm a fan of moving up, right? Like I just, is there a way that we can sneak into that lottery? Can we get, you know, cause there are, there's some game changers. There's some game changing players. I think in this draft that could really help the Wizards, but I'm with you. It's got to be a wing. It's got to be a defensive-minded wing and a guy that can maybe guard multiple positions and knock down a couple threes or two. The Wizards were not a good three-point shooting team this year. That's one thing that they definitely have to improve on. We, we were talking to, to Domo on Twitter the other day, and it's interesting that the roster is not terrible, I don't think, right? I mean, how do you see the roster? We were stacking them up. Uh, you know, before Bryant goes down, he was leading the league in three-point shooters for bigs, right? And they were really high on him. Mm-hmm. They brought in the guy from Chicago who should be a nice backup. If Rui takes another jump, I mean, where do you think the roster kind of sits as we stand now? I, I might disagree with you on the boy from Chicago. I think Gafford could be the starter. I okay. think – I look, look what he did when he got here. He changed yeah. – the way this roster looked. And this is a young player. This isn't like a 10-year veteran that has some tenure that's going to come in here. He changed the way the Wizards played because of his rim running, 
his defense, his energy. I just loved his energy. And the fact that Brian is coming off of the ACL, I would open that up in camp for competition. But, hey, best player is going to get the most minutes. Let's get after it. Um, but the roster is not bad. I, I agree with you. Um, I think the back end of the roster is going to be something that has to be identified because you think about those veterans that played last year. So we're thinking about Ish, Neto, um, Robin Lopez was a five, right? Alex Lynn. So you're not going to bring all four of them back because they might be able to get more money on the open market. So you've got to realize, you got to consider, okay, well, who of those four do we want to, do we want to bring back? And Robin Lopez to me, I, I, I was laughing, guys, all year when he was hitting these hook shots. I'm like, man, yeah, is this? He kept calling him Captain Hook. Yeah, I'm like, is this? Uh, is this in the '80s? Are we bringing old school centers back? Because I'm cool with it. Because I like the old school centers, but I, I'm curious to see what they do on the back end of that roster. Uh, yeah, I think you've got 78 million dollars invested into your backcourt. That's a lot of money, and then you paid Bertans. Bertans has got to show up next year you can't come into camp out of shape you can't you know your injuries you can't you can't control that i mean COVID, you can't control that but he has to he has to be that guy before he got the bag right he got the bag for a reason because he was a long-range marksman shot it at a high percentage and by his own admission he admitted he didn't come into camp in shape so He's got to come back. He's got to level up and be the player that we think that he could be because if he's out there hitting those threes, it opens everything offensively. It literally unlocks everything that they want to do, guys, right? Like, you got to account for him from 30 feet. That's a lot of space for Westbrook to create and get to the hole, drive and kick action to somebody in the corner. Beal can actually, you know, run some point guard. And then you got a lob threat now. Now you have a lob threat and Daniel Gafford. They didn't have that before. And that's what's really important about the NBA now. You got to get more athletic. And I thought that they got more athletic with that trade. It was a great trade uh, because he fit a void that the Wizards had before they got him. And I have to give him credit. He came here and took advantage of that opportunity. In Chicago, he didn't, he, by his own admission, he was like, look, I really didn't take advantage of the opportunities when Wendell Carter went down. Now I'm here in D.C. They're giving me more minutes. They give me more burn. I'm going out here and I'm competing. And like I said, I'm having him and TV compete in training camp. I would love to see, you know, you know best man wins. Yeah. Chris, I'm, uh, what, what do you think of the job that Tommy has done since he's been at the helm? Like, I mean, for, for me, I like the fact that he knows how to operate around the edges. Obviously, it's going to come a time. I mean, the, the wall trade was a splash, but – you, he's been operating around the edges, finding the Gafford, finding, you know, bringing Neto in, you know, bringing in players to see if they fit. If they don't, he ship them out. But what do you think of the job he's been doing in the predicament he was put in? Because he wasn't put in the sexy spot when he got the Yeah, I, I think for him, what he was able to do in the short term um, should be highlighted and illuminated. I mean, he, he did a really good job. Um, the drafting of Rui, wait and see. Denny is a wait and see. Um, he's not afraid to travel the world to find talent, right? <laughs> he's, he's proven that in the first two drafts. Um, I would agree with you. I, I don't think he was put in a really good position to start with, you know, and you've got to change the culture, right? That's, that's the buzzword, you know, culture mm -hmm. and all that. Um, the type of player 
that he wants to bring in. Um, he talks about the San Antonio Spurs a lot. He says that's, that's kind of like the model he looks at that he really respects is how they go about their business. And the one thing you know about San Antonio is like they don't check passports either. Like they're just going to comb the earth to find hoopers. Um, they're close. It, it, it's now a dance on how do you pay Westbrook and, and, and Beal and Bertans and still find players that could kind of fit in the cap structure, right? And that's when you got to be really good in the draft. You've got to be really good in free agency to figure out the type of pieces that you can afford and can come in and help you uh, in the short term and long term. If, if you bring a veteran in and it's the right veteran, right? You, you, you can't hit singles in the draft. You can't you got to hit triples and home runs because so much money is invested at the tops, uh, top end of your roster. So, so if we assume, Chris, that it is a, an assistant, a first-time head coach, uh, who picks the rest of the staff? Is that something Tommy does, or will the, will the newly acquired head coach be allowed to do that? It's just something I'm, I don't I, know. Yeah, I, I, would, I would hope that the, the, the new head coach can pick his staff because he's got to be comfortable. Right. See that, and that, and then that, that's the game within the game that I don't think we talk a lot about is that coach has to feel comfortable that when he looks down the bench, those other three, four, five assistants aren't out there to try to get his job. So if I'm him, I'm like, I got to pick some people that when I close my eyes at night, these other jokers aren't sitting up with the eyes of figuring out how to get me out of here. Right. So <laughs> you've got to pick people that, first of all, you trust, you respect, you know, their basketball IQ. And that can help develop, you know, the team. You know, it's it's not just look. Scott Brooks put a lot of people around him that he knew. I mean, he knew those guys. Some of those guys he worked with him at Oklahoma City. So when he came here, he picked up the phone. Was like, hey, I gotta have Robert Pack come here. I gotta have these people here with me. Um, so yeah, I think that that's really important. If, if whoever this new head coach is should have total, uh, you know, the, the, the final say so on who they bring on their staff. Do you think there's a leader in the clubhouse right now for that head coaching spot? For me, and this is just me talking, it, it's Wes Unsell Jr. to me. It just, yeah. he just again, I, there are too many boxes that he checks off that this fits for this organization that uh, I just, I would hate for him to go to Orlando because you got to see him four times a year. Be like, damn, that could have been our coach, right? So for me, it's Wes. Chris, before we let you get out of here, I, I would like to know what was your experience like working with uh, Phil Chenier and Steve Buckhantz? Um, that's all time for Washington Wizard fans who watch games. That's that's iconic duo. What was it? What was your experience like working with them with them gentlemen? So this I'm going into my fifteenth uh, season, and I remember my first year when I was doing sideline. Um, I remember Bucket Field I, when I was in Cleveland and we played that first of three years in the playoffs against you know the Wizards and Cavs. That first year I was covering it for Cleveland. So I remember meeting Bucket Field during the playoffs. I'm like, man, these are really cool dudes, right? And the first year that I did sideline, they embraced me from the beginning. And they were like, if there's anything you need, um, they're there to help. And we just 
built a really good rapport where when we would go on the road, there's just so many stories. And uh, Phil is the mentor of mine. Uh, even to this day, we talk. I love him. Buck was great. Class act. Um, helped me. You know, Buck missed a game. I think it was 2018. And I had to fill in for him. And he was so gracious in, you know, providing, you know, his notes. And if I needed anything, because that was the first time I was doing a play-by-play game. I'll never forget that. You know, he didn't have to do that. And those are things that I remember. Uh, those will be lifelong friends of mine. But uh, those are my buddies, right? Those, those guys. We even text, you know, during this season, you know, with the games. and uh, Yeah, it was a pleasure working with both of them. Let's uh, let's wrap up with this, Chris. Who do you think? Who do you got for this Finals MVP or this series here? Sons and four. I'm, I'm like the guy that beat up the dude in Denver. I'm like the dude that beat up the dude. Dude, he said Sons and four. Uh, I really like Phoenix, man. And you know, Chris Paul is from my hometown. Chris Paul is from Winston-Salem, North Carolina, too. And uh, we, uh, as people from Forsyth County, we love our Chris Paul, right? So it 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 just seems fitting that you know it's time for cp and, to get his crown right so and, i'm and definitely quickly, rooting for the suns it, and a follow-up on that real quick is there a lesson that the wizards can take from the suns on team building the way they've put that thing together because it reminds me a little bit of what they've done they they drafted well and then they slid chris paul in there kind of like a westbrook to really mm-hmm boost the professionalism if you will of that team do you think that there's something there or yeah i mean if you're if you're using the comparison of like beal is like devin booker and then all of a sudden they inserted a guy like westbrook that could put them over the top but they got a lot of pieces over there i mean <laughs> this mikhail bridges kid is special on the defensive end aiden was a former number one overall pick i mean they've got guys this Cameron Payne kid to me is a real testament to never giving up on your dreams. Even when you're out of the NBA and you're playing overseas, you can always come back. And he's come back and has really solidified, I think, that backup point guard role. Even when Chris was out with the shoulder injury, I thought Payne was terrific. They got some pieces over there. And Monty Williams, local guy, right? Mm-hmm. PG County's own Monty Williams. Can't be more happy for him, obviously, you know, you know, losing his wife. I mean, th- th- this guy, how do you, how can you not root for him? And the fact that Monty and Chris Paul have reunited after when they were in New Orleans and now they're in right. Phoenix with a chance to win the championship. Yeah, man, Suns in four. <laughs> I love it. I'm with you. I think Suns I'm, sure. I'm with you. I don't know about four, but I'm with you. Sons, <laughs> nah, the dude, the Suns fan. <laughs> That gave that Nuggets fan some hands and then told them what was going to happen in the series was one of the funniest things I've seen this year towards the playoffs. I'm not condoning condoning violence, but if you go put your hands and try to sneak shot one guy, sons and four. (laughs) Grizz, we thank you for your time. We thank you for joining us today. Please, please let the people know where they can find you and what you have coming up next. Yeah, man. So like I told you guys, I just did this uh, really good interview yesterday with Bradley Beal. So it'll be on all of our platforms on NBCSportsWashington.com, also NBC4. Um, you can find me on Twitter at CMillsNBCSN. I never remember my Twitter handle, by the way. It's like, it's like, a, 
It's like your phone number, right? When somebody asks you what's your phone number, I'm like, I don't know. I don't call myself. I sure as hell don't tweet myself. <laughs> I appreciate you guys having me on, man. This was a pleasure. Thank, Thank you. you. So Thank much. you again. Appreciate you. Have a good one. All right. You too. All right. All right, man. I appreciate you guys. Oh, thank you, Chris. All right. Y'all take care.